the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It is a Tuesday, and uh, some interesting things have occurred overnight that uh, I wanted to deal with because, you know, I was telling you yesterday that the issue for people, the people who are behind the marijuana law, not law, but uh, change to our Constitution are behind, uh, basically gives the growers a monopoly here in the state of Arkansas when it comes to marijuana. And I don't like it. And I definitely don't like the idea that within the the law, it uh, says that, hey, look, uh, uh, the state legislature has no say in this. You know, we've written this. uh, If they don't like it, too bad. You voted for it, and that's the way it's going to be. And As far as I'm concerned, that's not the way it should be. And I saw that the state legislature, I get this last night, uh, has signed a letter uh, that's saying that they're hoping that uh, Arkansans will vote against issue four. And so I immediately called a a few of my friends and asked them if they, well, I talked to them. And then I asked Ben Gilmore, I sent him a a direct uh, uh, email and I said, hey, Ben, if you don't mind, would you come on the, the show and talk a little bit about this? And he wrote back and he said, sure. So he joins us. State Senator Ben Gilmore is with us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Ben, how are you? It's been a while since we've talked. It, it has, but always good to be with you, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate what you do. And you're, you're a legend in Arkansas. Well, let, let's talk about this. Let's talk about what's going on with this issue four. Do you think – I think a lot of people – are looking at this particular um, constitutional amendment and are saying, well, you know, I don't have any problem about somebody smoking a joint or whatever, and are thinking about voting uh, for it, except that that's not what this law is about. There's a whole lot of other stuff mixed in, like no um, no THC levels are set for edibles and things of that nature. Uh, you all, as uh, legislators and representatives of the people of Arkansas, are told just keep your nose out of their business. It's really setting up a, a monopoly for the marijuana people. It really is, Dave. Everything you said is uh, unfortunately very true. You know, this this might be the scariest thing that's been on our ballot since, well, I can remember. And one to your point about, you know, the monopoly and all these other terrible things that are in it, 
it should really terrify people that they're giving over so much power and so much control to a few certain individuals who actually wrote this proposal to basically say, hey, we're going to let y'all have a monopoly. We're going to let y'all set the, the rules on THC levels because that's what this does. And then, and then we're going to let y'all, we're going to trust y'all to, uh, to develop packaging that maybe doesn't appeal to kids. You know, one of the things that, that when it comes to regulating things like this, always looked at is how do we keep it out of the hands of minors? Well, this amendment and this, this, this ballot initiative or this issue doesn't take any of that into account. This is strictly a way for, for a certain select individuals, to your point, Dave, just to keep to make money and keep getting rich and they're doing it by by just false advertising oh my god stuff. <laughs> i mean it's, it's disgusting when i see it when they talk about uh, you know do this to help our schools or do this to to give more money to law enforcement well i, I don't know if, if they even asked any of the law enforcement how they feel about it but i can tell you our law enforcement smart enough to know and, and many of them that I've talked to have said this, we don't want this, and whatever money that may be derived off of this through through taxes or whatever spelled out in the amendment is a joke when you consider how much crime's gonna go up, how many, uh, how many more deaths are gonna be associated with people that are gonna be driving while under the influence, because keep in mind, back to your point, Dave, there's no, there's no limits on the THC uh, in, this, in this amendment. No. So it, it's just it's one of the worst things I've ever seen uh, being our ballot, and that's saying a lot because we've had some really terrible things on our ballot. Yeah, and and uh, you know I I've got some real problems with it. I had Jerry Cox on to talk about it uh, from the very beginning, and after he told me that one of the main uh, issues within this piece of. Uh, amendment changing to our constitution was that the state legislature was basically locked out from it and making any changes to it i said uh, no i don't think so because you guys are the voice of the people the house and the senate are the voice of the people so why would i want our people not be able to have a voice in how some kind of business is being run this is nothing but a money grab yeah. Well, look, and to your point there, you're completely right, because at the end of the day, if I don't represent my people, they'll vote me out and yeah. they'll put somebody in there that will. And that's the accountability we have. Unlike this, once this is set in stone, there's no going back. I don't see it thus ever going back. And I can tell you there's no way to hold accountable the the winners that this uh, amendment, Issue 4, picks. It, it, it basically locks in, to your point, a very select group of people who control it, who control the business aspect of it, who control the regulation aspect of it, who decide what's good and what's bad. And we're trusting unelected, um, an unelected monopoly to, to make these decisions that are going to impact generation after generation to come. Yeah, I I, I totally tough, agree. I, I totally agree. I'm glad to see you all uh, signed this letter. This letter is uh, is sent out to the people of Arkansas, is it not? I mean, that's what this is all about? It, it is. So uh, I think 64, 64 House members um, signed the letter, and then the 
uh, Senate caucus, my colleagues in the Senate and I sent out a statement yesterday uh, condemning this and asking the voters of Arkansas not to pass it because it is just terrible, terrible policy. Um, again, look, we've had a lot of a lot of scary things on our ballot. Uh, you know, two years ago, Dave, do you remember they tried to get ranked choice voting? Yep. Um, on the ballot. Yeah, jungle uh, primary. Just jungle primary. I mean, just all sorts of crazy stuff. This is, I think, the worst. Um, and I just because of because of what this means down the road. I mean, look, we we struggle to be competitive in Arkansas. And we've actually done a pretty good job over the last several years of getting our regulatory, you know, burden reduced and, and lowering taxes and doing all these things to make us more competitive. And now we're saying to business owners and we're saying to law enforcement and we're saying to our, our schools and our teachers, hey, look, y'all don't matter. We don't care. We're going to do this. We're going to legalize recreational marijuana. And, oh, by the way, we're not going to put any of the restrictions that a lot of other states have done. So hope y'all hope y'all can continue to do what you do, but we're going to make it a lot harder for you. Yeah, I, I, I really have I, – I voted yesterday, first day of uh, availability to the polls being open. I voted. I voted no on issue four. And, uh, you know, if it had been a bill that said – decriminalization of marijuana i gotta say it might have been a coin flip at that moment just to be honest with you sure because uh you know i've grown up with marijuana and i don't think it's the the drug that's the be all end all but i do have problems when i see that a select group of people are going to run the whole show and it's going to be to their benefit to be able to run the whole show. This reminds me a few years back, uh, Ben. You remember we didn't? There was a time when we didn't have the lottery. Uh, Halter, mm-hmm. Lieutenant Governor Halter, was the one who finally put up what I called a clean bill, where the state would run it and blah 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 blah. Nobody benefited but the students and things of that nature. Before that, though, there had been, I think, two occasions uh, for the lottery. One of them was a, uh, a specific gentleman wanted to run the lottery himself, and he got it on the ballot, and he got beat soundly because, you know, I thought that people from Arkansas were smart enough to say, you know, the government doesn't need to tell us that we can't gamble, but we'll go out, you know, mm-hmm. we'll go out and, and, uh, and buy a lottery ticket. But we don't want one person deciding how it's going to be run, where the money's going to go, and the whole the whole schmear that happened with that. And it was voted down. When the cleaning bill came through, with Halter pushed through, uh, bottom line, people of Arkansas said, okay, we can go with that. Give us a, you know, give us a clean piece of uh, uh, amendment yeah. that doesn't give a select group of people the, the, the wherewithal to raise maybe billions of dollars for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, look, Dave, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and I'm a smaller, limited government kind of guy. And one of the things that I, my philosophy, and one of my philosophies on government is government shouldn't be in the business of picking winners and losers. Uh-huh. And and I know that I know that we do it in certain ways. And, but I'm I'm the kind of guy that when given the opportunity, we shouldn't do it. We should our tax code should benefit everybody, and our you know regulatory process should be easy enough for anybody to navigate. Well, this this amendment, if passed, will pick winners and losers. And let me tell you, the folks that are going to benefit are the folks that are already well established that have uh, and have their 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 claws already in 
the, the, the marijuana industry. And those are the people that we're protecting, and those are the people that we are, we are basically saying, hey, take this, make whatever rules you want with it, and go make a lot more money on the backs of, of the average citizen in Arkansas. And that's pretty scary stuff. Well, I'm, I'm gonna, I've got to hold you over for a break here. But when we come back, okay. I, I really want to talk about the average Arkansan going to the polls, maybe voting on this, saying, well, yeah, they want to smoke a joint. I don't have any problem with that. There's a lot more to this than just that. Please, I ask you, read read the uh you know the the english that's in this this piece of uh of of voting for this uh, amendment you read it you probably will vote against it it's 18 minutes after six dave ellswick show don't forget about east end towing east end towing will take care of you you get stuck on the side of the road you talk you call this number 501-888-8849 that's uh 501-888-8849 they'll be on their way they'll be out there in a short period of time they'll get you off the side of the road and if it's just not your car maybe it's a trailer with a boat on it maybe it's a camper they'll get that off the side of the road as well don't want to be leaving it on the road not with the way crime is now uh, across uh, the state of uh, arkansas that's east end towing Back with you, Ben Gilmore, State Senator, on line with me here on the phone. We're talking about Issue 4. And, Ben, why would people, do you think, number one, I think it's because they don't understand the scope of this piece of uh, amendment-changing legislation that they're going to vote on. But And it's not really legislation. Uh, But the bottom line is is that... uh, you know, most people are, I think, like you and I, are uh, got a little bit of a libertarian bent in us. Uh, we're conservatives, we're con- Republicans, but we believe that people should be able to live their lives, but not with this piece of. Uh, uh, this is this is pulling the wool over the sheep's eyes. I mean, this is this is crazy stuff. Yeah, no, you're you're right, and look, I, I think we are all about. To your point, we're all about liberty. We're all about personal liberty. That's that's what drives every decision that I that I make, or hopefully it does every decision I make as a state legislator. But when I see uh, this this amendment, is it, I mean that's what it is. We're putting this in the Constitution, uh, and I hope voters understand that when they're making these decisions. This is stuff that's going to be in there forever. I mean, I don't know, Dave. When was the last time you saw something pulled out of? Our amendment, or, or out of our constitution, or amended in our constitution. I mean, this is this is stuff that when we make these decisions, it's typically there forever. And you know, you mentioned on the right before the break, you mentioned crime uh, in Arkansas, and I, I forget the context in which you mentioned it. But look, there's no question in everyone's mind we have a crime problem in this state. Yeah, absolutely. And. And and I will I'll hand it to the people behind this issue four. They're slick with their TV ads, mm-hmm. saying that this is going to help law enforcement. This is not going to help law enforcement. Law enforcement, if 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 anything, is going to get just a little bit of the money because most of it's going into the pockets of the people that are in the monopoly. But but let's talk about all of the other things that'll be associated with this. And look, Dave, to your point earlier, you mentioned about. You know, maybe it was a coin flip if this was to, um, you know, take away the the, the legal uh, 
retribution of, of, of marijuana use or whatever or wiping out or absolving people or whatever. Okay, maybe maybe that's true, but but here's the other thing that we're gonna we have to deal with here. There's a lot of other things that come and associated with this. Colorado is a great case study of when you look at what happens to states that that legalize recreational marijuana, and it ought to disturb us because this is not going to lower crime. This is going to raise crime. This is not going to help law enforcement. It's going to put it's going to make law enforcement's job that much harder. This is not going to do away with the black market. In fact, I think it's going to make the black market worse because that's what happened in Colorado. There's a lot of things that the voters, and look, the voters are smart. They, I think they see through a lot of this stuff. In fact, I've had a lot of constituents call me and say, hey, I've, I've seen these, these really slick ads on TV saying vote for issue four because it's going to help our law enforcement. I don't really, I don't really believe that. Am, am I seeing that the right way? And I said, absolutely, you are, because that is nothing more than someone did did some poll testing and decided that law enforcement moves the needle with people. And you know what? We're going to tie issue four to helping our law enforcement, which is just a joke. But we have a crime problem in the state, and we don't need to be fooled into thinking that passing issue four is going to help that. It'll only make it worse. Okay, so I hear that a lot of you are getting together uh, today and you're holding a press conference. Is, is that uh, true? I, I, I hear that. I'm actually uh, I'm actually in my district today. I was in Little Rock yesterday and drove back home. I've got some meetings today, so I won't be there. But, yes, pretty much all of the Republicans in the legislature are banding together to say this is a terrible idea. We shouldn't do it. We should protect our state. We should defend our law enforcement. We should protect our kids. Um, and you saw that yesterday with a, a letter from the House and statement from every one of my colleagues in the Senate. Let, let me just tell you something. It's hard to reach a, a overall uh, consensus in the legislature on any given issue. I think it speaks volume today because you, you've been around a long time and you've seen it. Yeah. When when we all speak with a collective voice, that's something that's not easily that you don't get too easily. And when you do, it means it's probably a pretty big issue. I agree. I agree that that's very, very, very true. Well, listen, Ben, the next time you're up in the area, let me know and let's get you set up to come into the studio and sit down and let's talk about the uh, the we'll General Assembly that's going to happen in 2023, uh, because there's going to be some huge things uh, debated during that session. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you very much, I'm State Senator Ben well. Gilmore. Hey, thank, yeah. Thank you, Dave. Okay. It. We'll talk to you later. All right. State Senator Ben Gilmore. He's one of the good guys. I'm just telling you. Ran for election a few years ago and won down south in Arkansas when people thought you couldn't be a Republican and win down in the southern part of the state. And Ben won and a few other people won. And now uh, that uh, there's a, that. That, that wall that was down there has been battered down, and uh, Republicans are doing just as well in the Delta now as they did uh, up in the suburbs uh, here in central Arkansas, northwest Arkansas. Uh, the Republican Party has has done well to build itself over the last, uh, well, let's say, eh, 13 years, about 13, 13, 14 years. I mean, it started... Uh, in the early 2000s, but the change came in 2010. That's when the real change began, and uh, 
a lot of Republicans were voted into office and change came to the state as well. Now, there's still people from the other side, and I don't have any problem with the people from the other side as long as they have smart policies that they're pushing. Uh, But the problem with, I believe, the Democrat Party is that they are so far to the left, uh, they've left the playing field. Uh, they, They just separated themselves from the American people, and that's what you're seeing as we move towards the election on November 8th, you're seeing a lot of these uh, races all across the United States that they said were toss-ups, and now Republicans are ahead and are starting to pull away from their challengers. When did you ever believe, if you're a follower of politics, did you ever believe that Patty Murray would be having problems up in Washington State as senator? She is being challenged, and there is a very good chance that she is going to lose. And uh, Nevada, it looks to me like the Republican challenger is going to win that one, Lexalt. So uh, some very interesting things going on. I'll be uh, watching that uh, debate tonight between Fetterman and Oz out of Pennsylvania. All right, let's get a break in. We'll get you some uh, some thought, uh, you know, food for you here at the bottom of the hour. And then we'll be back and we've got a special author who's joining us back with you don't forget about pi roofing they were out of my house yesterday i had not gotten home yet so uh they looked at my deck they were checking it out and i'm supposed to get a written estimate about what it's going to take to uh, bring it back up to snuff again which i'll uh, have ready for me next uh spring i mean that's my goal my goal is spring of next year so uh I hope they'll be able to work over the winter time. I'm sure they will uh, do that as well. So know that uh, I called PI Roofing. Not to have my roof fixed, but to have some construction done. And uh, that's what PI Roofing does now. Uh, they're PI Roofing and Home Solutions. That means that if you're part of your solution for your house is that you need a little construction done around your home, because to, to get the big uh, contractors in, you got to have a fairly big job. I don't have, you know, a, a, a $10,000, $30,000 or more job for them to do. I got something that's going to cost maybe three to five thousand dollars uh to get fixed up and uh, they're not going to want to worry with that but pi roofing will take care of that type of work so uh, you call them at 501-707-3115 same number you'd call to get your roof fixed and they'll come out look at what you need done give you a nice appraisal for it and then uh, you can make up your mind what you think i can tell you this you know how well they do roofs They'll do just as well for any other project that they work on. That's P.I. Roofing, PIRoofing.com. we got a special guest with us today. We talk about uh, this issue often here on uh, the Dave Ellswick Show. I believe the church is the single most important, many times, missing entity in political discussions. Uh, you who are Jesus followers, just like I am, uh, have to be involved in politics. Now, my dad used to say, and I know other people say it as well, you know, you can get involved in politics or politics can get involved with you. And I'd much rather be involved with them and try to bring a Judeo-Christian viewpoint to them 
and to uh, to help people to help pull them out of poverty and things of that nature. Terry Hasdorf is with us. She has written a new book. It's called Running Into the Fire. Why more Christians need to be involved in politics and hey Terry, thanks for joining us today. You've been you've been doing this for some time now, correct? Hey, good morning, Dave. Yes, I have. I've been in it pretty much since I was in high school. <laughs> yeah, what who was president when you start? Was it Reagan or was it Bush? Uh it was Bush, Bush forty one. Okay. And I actually interned in, in that administration and then went on to work in the White House Office of Public Liaison for about a year. Yeah, and you did a lot of good things while you were there, and uh, now uh, you went back home. Alabama is your home. You worked uh, with the uh, the governor of Alabama to bring some of that back to the state uh, uh, turf, correct? I did. I did. I set up the first office of faith-based and community initiatives for the for the governor's office and uh, for the state, and it was an incredible opportunity to get to know faith-based groups all over the state and work with the White House faith-based initiative. All right. Now, are you originally from Birmingham? I'm originally from Montgomery. Oh, Montgomery. Okay, I come through there all the time when I go down to uh, I go down to the uh, the beach down in Florida. I go down, go down there, and I travel through Montgomery and Birmingham and that area, and then cut across through Mississippi and back up here to Arkansas. So, it's a, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Let's talk a little bit about uh, people who are people of faith, people who are Jesus followers, and how important a part we play. I mean, look, Christ talked about us being the light of the world, the salt of the world, all the important things that uh, you know had things to preserve the good things of our of our life and think in. Uh, of our faith and uh, for some reason the church has uh, lost that vision it really seems like it has you know this is a time where our country needs us and when about 64 percent of americans identify as christians uh that's the majority and yet if that majority is not engaging politically where does that leave us yeah well we we can kind of look and see where it's leaving us right now (laughs) <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, not good. And, well, and our country has never been closer to the brink of socialism. And socialism at its core is about replacing God with government and freedom with tyranny. And, you know, if people of faith are concerned about the country, there are a lot of practical things that they can do. Uh, and so that's part of the reason why I wrote this book, Running Into the Fire, to equip them and empower them and give them hope to help them understand that there's a lot that people can do, even if it's just one person. And uh, this book is just filled with practical information about how you can get involved and tells you where the levers are and how you can really make a difference. You know, Terry, the pandemic was uh, a dark time here in our our country uh, just a couple of years ago. But perhaps a, a bright spot that came out of it is what has occurred in public education. And this is a place where I believe the church needs to really get involved in. And uh, that was parents started seeing what was being taught to their kids. And when they saw it, it really, really rocked them. And some changes are happening. That's exactly right. And, you know, a lot more changes need to happen. Um, You know, one of the things I really encourage people is think about uh, running for school board, think about, you know, being more engaged with some of these town hall meetings and some of these things that are happening in your community all the time. A lot of people just don't take the time to get involved with them. But that's really uh, where the rubber meets the road and a lot of these decisions are made. And if you're not in that position, then that leaves a void. And the person who may take that space may not be somebody who shares your values. 
Yeah, and, and you know, I hear a lot of preachers preach uh, from the pulpit, and they and they talk about, you know, uh, the battle is not necessarily of this world, which I agree with. There's a spiritual battle that's going on, but we can't walk we can't walk off the battlefield that's going on right here. Uh, in, in with our eyes that we see every day. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole chapter about the armor of God and how we've got to use it to go out and fight the fight, the good fight that's a, a, a ahead of us. That's exactly right. You know, the reason I named this book "Running into the Fire" is because I ran for Congress in Alabama in 2020, and I was talking to a friend of mine who had also run about the same time as I did for Congress, and I asked him, "Why do you believe Christians shy away from being involved in politics?" And he said, well, because they're afraid of it. They think of it as being dirty and corrupt. Uh Yes, that's exactly what I hear over and over. He said, but you know, what they really should be doing is thinking of it more like people who are in law enforcement or people who are firefighters because they're trained to overcome their fears. And instead of running away from the burning building, they run right into it. And I thought, you know, that's exactly it. We as Christians are called to walk in faith, not fear. And if we're not the ones running in... (laughs) A lot of times the people going in are the ones with the masses. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you're, you're really right. You hit the nail on the head with this book, Why More Christians Need to Be Involved in Politics. And I, I, I really do believe that statement. You don't get involved in politics, politics will get involved with you. And it may not be in a way that you want to see it happen. That's right. That's right. You know, a lot of people, I think, just don't realize how much the decisions that politics and and politicians make affects their daily lives until it gets to the point where the gas prices are skyrocketing or can't put food on the table. But, you know, a lot of times by then it's 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 hard to make changes. So the the important thing is to get involved early. And to, one of the things the best things that people can do right now is go vote. The midterms are right around the corner. We're just a couple, you know, less than two and a half weeks out. That's a critical thing for our nation. And voting in person is what I always tell people is the most important thing. If you can do that, there's any way to show up in person. That makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, we started early voting yesterday. I got in line. We had good turnout yesterday in the city I'm from, Cabot, which is just outside of Little Rock. And, uh, you know, I was uh, I was hopeful when I saw that. I'm hoping mm-hmm. that doesn't mean a lot of blue people showed up, but I <laughs> I don't think that's the case. I think it's going to be a, a red tsunami here in the state of Arkansas, just like it is going to be about uh, all over the, the, the United States. Listen, i got to take a break. Can you stick with me just for one more segment when we come back? Absolutely. Thank all right. You. Stay with us. Terry Hasdorff is with us. She's written a new book. It's called Running Into the Fire. You can get it on, on the Internet very easily. Just check it out on uh, any of the places that you buy your books. Uh, hey, Terry, is this on Kindle, too? It sure is. Yes. Okay. I Make sure everybody knows about that. That's the only way I read books anymore is on my Kindle. It's a lot easier to carry my books around. All right. Running Into the Fire, Why More Christians Need to Be Involved in Politics by Terry Hasdorf. Stick with me. we got more to talk about with her here on the Dave Ellswick Show. I want to remind you about Hillcrest Jewelry. Talk about my friend, uh, Eric Coleman. I was over to see Eric last week. I'm getting uh, some medallions. My wife doesn't know this, so please. Don't tell her if you see her, all right? She's asleep right now. She's smart. She doesn't get up at 4 o'clock in the morning like I do. She lets me do that. She sleeps. But the bottom line is this. I'm, I'm, buying medall- I'm getting medallions. I'm getting the Star David 
and in the middle of the star david where there is a uh, a hole basically i've got i'm having a cross put in there and uh, it will have uh, three rubies on it on the cross on the crossbar it have one on the left end and on the right end and then it have one at the bottom of the one that uh, is uh, is vertical and uh, so uh, you know i believe in a in a judeo christian uh, belief system and because of that, I wanted to make sure that everybody understood that, and I'm going to start wearing that for people uh, to see. Now, uh, that is a, a unique uh, creation that uh, Eric is going to make for me. I went over and sat down and talked to him. It took us about a half hour to hammer it out uh, and, and uh, decide exactly what it was going to look, look like. And uh, that's Christmas presents coming up um, uh, in December. But uh, Hillcrest Designer Jewelry can do more than just uh, unique designs. They got display cases full of wonderful, beautiful uh, jewelry. Uh, Eric has got uh, just a, a whole bunch of free, uh, you know, uh, jewels that you can look at: diamonds, rubies, emeralds, the whole nine yards. And I always throw in amethyst because uh, that's my birthday. Uh, jewel so i want to put that in there but uh, he's got that uh if your if your uh, items need cleaning he can do that if they need repairing he can do that in fact take it to him he's the guy that all the big jewelry stores around the area send their repairs to and then he makes the repairs and sends them back so and take out the middleman and just take your stuff over to him he'll take good care of it he's been in business over 40 years and he's at 3000 cavanaugh suite e open monday through saturday 10 to 6. He wants you to stop by and visit him, but if you got a call, here's the number. 501-246-3655. That's Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. All right, back with you. Got about nine minutes remaining here this hour, nine minutes remaining in our conversation with Terry Hasdorf. Got a book out called Running Into the Fire. Why more Christians need to be involved in politics. And, Terry, you make a, a statement uh, in this material that I saw about your book. And it says, we must be educated regarding what the Bible says about our involvement in government. A lot of people think uh, Christians should wash their hands of the government. That's not what the Bible teaches, correct? No, it's really not. You know, when you look at what the scriptures say, there's... A lot of verses that point to involvement in in government, uh, you know, seeking the welfare of the city. Uh, we're called to rule and reign. We are uh, here to be salt and light. We're not called to just sequester ourselves off and hope for the best. <laughs> That's the whole point of, of, you know, stepping out in faith. And a lot of times I think God calls us to be involved in the mountain of government. And so often, uh, you know, people in the church will discourage that. And that's something that I really speak to in the book because I experienced that personally uh, when I first really felt the call to, to go to Washington and be involved. And I, you know, I just, uh, I, I tell people, if this is something that God is calling you to, he equips you for it. And he also will make sure that, um, you know, you have what you need to to make sure you come through it without without having it uh, affect you in negative ways. So that's that's why it's so critical for people to listen to that call. Well, let's just talk about one person. You're one person. You've made a big difference at times. You've made a, a difference on the national level. 
But what I really like about what you've done, you've made a big difference on the state and local level. Uh, You helped build the first office of faith-based and community initiatives for the governor of Alabama. Talk about that a little bit. How, How difficult was it to get the ear? Of, uh, of the governor and say, look, the church wants to partner up and, and make this happen. Well, you know, that initiative is something that has just been quite uh, remarkable. It's one of the first opportunities that I've ever seen for, uh, you know, faith communities to partner uh, with government entities as well as private sector uh, companies. Those types of partnerships are the three legs of the stool, and those are the things that touch communities. And where that really stood out the most was when Katrina hit in Alabama. Um, you know, I had I had, had the privilege of working with faith communities across the state, and when that hurricane hit, it was an amazing opportunity to see. It wasn't the uh, FEMA office that people who were in need turned to. It wasn't the local mayor's office even. It was their church that they were going down the street mm-hmm. to the door of and saying, hey, my house was just destroyed. I need help. And so having that partnership uh, is, a, is an incredible thing. And it's something that shouldn't be taken lightly because when you're trying to affect impoverished communities or areas of great need, empowering the faith community to work alongside those in government and other other areas is something that um, that initiative was really geared towards doing, and I think it did it quite successfully. Well, I know there's a lot of people that want to point the finger at the church and say that all we do is spread division and whatnot. Billions of dollars a year are returned to our communities in love, Christian love, the love of Christ, to try to help people and give them a hand up so that they can get going in their in their lives. And that's not reported enough either. That's exactly right. And, you know, people's faith make a huge difference in so many areas, such as, you know, with disasters, uh, helping those who are, uh, you know, food insecure, working with people who need uh, health care type of uh, programs. And so why is this any different? You know, the area of, of politics and government is something that touches all of those. And so that's why I really am saying, hey, you know, you don't need to be afraid of it. You just need to get trained properly. You need to find a place to start. It's just like anything else you learn by doing. And once you get in there, you realize, oh, okay, this really isn't so scary. Yeah, there comes a time uh, for the church, and I, w- I want to talk to you one la- about one last thing. The pulpit has been very silent at times about some of these social issues that the Bible is very clear about. We need pastors that will be uh, you know, strong from the pulpit, filled with the Holy Spirit, and preach the truth to people, correct? Well, absolutely, and we need pastors that are willing to encourage, you know, their congregations to get involved with things like civics training or, you know, knowing very clearly what you can and cannot do. There are IRS guidelines on what pastors uh, and and people in churches can do to get involved and and engage politically. As long as you follow those, you don't need to be worried about it. Uh, I have an entire chapter in the book that gives people guidance on what they can and can't do. But, you know, it's like anything else. If you get educated, then you're not afraid. All right. And one last question for you, something that's starting to sweep across the nation. After seeing what our children are being taught in public school systems, there are more and more churches that are looking to get involved in education. The Supreme Court ruled uh, either in Maine or Vermont 
that if you're offering money to a secular uh, education, a secular school, that that money had to be offered to uh, private and faith-based schools. Uh, are you are, are you seeing that perhaps education may start moving back towards the church where it first began? Well, I think, you know, making sure that there's equal treatment and making sure that uh, people who are people of faith have their voice heard in these types of conversations is what's so critical. And yes, I think if people start to get more engaged and uh, make it clear that that's what is, is needed, then that's exactly what I hope will happen. All right. Terry, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you. I appreciate all the work you've done. Running into the fire is the name of this new book, Why uh, More Christians Need to Be Involved in Politics. I've got a copy right here. I'll give it to the first listener who calls in and says, Dave, I want it. I want to read it. Uh, you just call 501-823-0965. Uh, it's, a, it's a good book, and, it, and I think it's a good primer as well. Thanks so much, Terry. Thank you, Dave. Thanks so much. <laughs> All right. And talk to you later now. All right. So uh, that was Terry Hasdorf. Again, name of her book, Running Into the Fire. You like a copy of the book? I'll give it to you. Just be the first caller here to the Dave Ellswick Show, Running Into the Fire, Why More Christians Need to Be Involved in politics. You know where I stand on that. You know where the Bible guys stand on that. And uh, we talk about it on a consistent basis as far as that. So, uh, know that uh, somebody's going to have a good book to read you know sit back and put your feet up today you you might want to do that stay indoors because the wind's going to be blowing hard today last thing you want to do is walk out the door and find find yourself down at the beginning of your front yard because the wind blew you all across the yard be careful out there today take a break bible guys coming up we got billy going to be in here and steve's going to be in here we got a couple of really good questions to deal with too here on the dave ellswick show behind that song amazing grace the, the guy who, who wrote it mm-hmm. he, was he was a slave a, trader yeah. yeah yeah he was a slave trader and he realized uh what he what he had been doing was wrong and that's what he's singing about right there he was actually on a boat when he started composing this i believe yes um yeah i think the boat was going to sink is what he thought yeah, yeah. 
that he was going to die. And he, he really, and you know, it's 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 kind of amazing how uh, God uses those moments to bring light into our minds and let us see the truth. Yep. So that was. Uh, I watched the, the movie uh, Amazing Grace about William Wilberforce. That's a great movie. Yeah, and included that story about that guy. Oh, is it? Oh, did is it? it in there? I yeah. didn't know it was in there. Yeah. yeah so, he was, I don't know if it was that part was historic yet, historically accurate or not, but um, he was, William Wilberforce was friends with that slave trader in the movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. All right. And it's very so, interesting. So how, how badly would it shock our extremely conservative friends to find out that the tune to which Amazing Grace was originally a bar song, right? So <laughs> What a big surprise. He, he, he composed the words and then used the tune from a, a popular bar song at the time to uh, to put the melody in. Same so. thing with National Anthem. Yeah, true enough. True enough. All right. Francis well, Guy I mean, you take the you take the music. Take that what you got. You're singing at the time and use it. So he, they, these do. guys were poets, not composers, and therefore they were able to come up with words, but not the music. So they well, just I borrowed mean, some. They basically had all the meetings in the bars anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. Well that's, well, that's because you couldn't drink the water. Right. <laughs> so they drank a lot of beer. I mean, the Puritans drank a ton of beer. My grandfather was that way. Uh, I mean, he would pour beer over his cereal in the morning. I just what the very thought makes me want to well, vomit. That, so that was what year? What years? Are we looking at? Oh, back uh, in the fifties, forties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, my my father was born in forty eight, so that would have been yeah fifties, forties, and fifties. Yeah. yeah, you're not looking at cereal that was more sugar than it right. was cereal. Correct. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> I I had my kids look at me kind of crazy now because I used to be a big sugar nut. And uh, all my cereals were sugar-fortified kind of stuff. And uh, now I, I eat uh, shredded wheat, the big biscuits, and crunch them up, you know, and eat that. And then uh, this morning I had Raisin Bran. And Raisin Bran's pretty sweet, mm-hmm. you know. And it's just not the raisins. It's got a lot of sugar in it. Yeah. Just so you know, they're, they're going to tell you it's really good for you. Yeah, I don't know if I believe that completely or not. You know, yeah, cereal is. in general is one of those things that <clears throat> we we pretend like it's healthy, mm. but go look at the macronutrients on it. You're basically eating candy for breakfast every day, so you're eating a lot of sugar. There's no doubt about that. All right, I'm looking now for the the, the question uh, that I want to read, and I got as you can probably imagine, I get a lot of. One People. or two emails a week? Yeah, just a few. One or two. And I'm, I'm going through and looking. Oh, here. Does that, nope, that's not, is it. that's not it. That's somebody else. Uh, a lady sent us a letter. And uh, God bless her soul, as I read <coughs> the letter, I just said, you know, you need somebody to speak some truth into your life. I mean, that, that, that's exactly what I thought as I, mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. I read it. So let, let, let me read it to you. It's, says, you gentlemen have mentioned before the lack of knowledge in the church world and how it's seen less people attending in general. How much of this is caused by the people themselves? We've got pastors like Locke burning books literally, calling people that disagree witches and threatening to ostracize them and cause terror uh, on them if they don't leave forever their church we've got people that accuse people with diseases or mental illness as being demonic or forcing them out of their lives how much of this 
you disagree or do something I don't like so you're evil, go away and never come back, is causing this. Where is the love, compassion, unity, and attempts to bring people in? Isn't this sort of hatefulness contradicting the things they claim to live and teach? How is it loving to call a person with a mental illness demonic? How is it okay to burn books? How is it unifying to push people out of the church and away from people of God for, uh, by the way, small g on that, uh, for disagreeing with someone? How does the church correct this when it seems the divisions in the church itself uh, causing, as you noted, tens of thousands of sects and denominations seems to be impossible to bridge. When a church sows division in its own body and acts cold-hearted, how can anybody say they believe and want to live a loving life when the thing they live in among is so unloving? How do we make a good witness and be attached to this? <clears throat> Well, that was a rant. Yeah, it was. That was a rant. Okay, go ahead. Well, then we'll just use the standard. Um, you, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So you you lump <clears throat> entire Christendom into one guy who, by most accounts, is considered somewhat extreme. Who is he? His name's John Locke. He's the yeah. um, um, oh, did he from Tennessee. That, did he steal that name? No. Is that his real name? Christian yeah. name? I believe so. I believe oh, it's Pastor. Okay. I think his name's Pastor John Locke. He's in Eastern Tennessee. Okay. He um, never even heard of him. Yeah. He he's got a lot. Of, you you've probably seen his videos. Oh, okay. He's put out uh, where people have taken um, screenshots, the one that or you know video clips and sent out, and and there was one, and that's the one that the person is referencing about how uh, uh, he was he was screaming and hollering about how you cannot be a Christian and and, and be pro-abortion. Uh, and he hollered in the middle of that. He said, "Get out of here, you demon!" He, you know, and he just started hollering about those kind of things. And apparently, mm-hmm. he had a book burning back in the in the beginning of the year, burning um, uh, things like Twilight, Harry Potter, and stuff like that. So, yes, like like all good um, media, they're going to run to the one person that's going to get the most attention and make everything look the most extreme. Right. <clears throat> but one of the things that people have said a lot about Christianum and one of the things that has really caused us a lot of problem is this idea of loving unity with the world. It's not loving unity within our own body because they're talking about inclusiveness. You hear that phrase a lot about Christianity needs to be inclusive. By its very definition, uh, Christianity is exclusive. Extraordinarily exclusive. Jesus said that no one no one comes to the Father except by him. So that means if you believe in any other deity, you will not meet God. If you do not walk through the blood of Messiah, you will not meet God. That is not inclusive. That is exclusive. He said, I came to bring a sword. I came to separate father from son, mother from daughter, father from daughter-in-law. He listed all these people. Because when you say... Everything else is a false and a lie that's not inclusive. Right. So for people who have taken that mentality in Christendom that we just need to love everybody into the kingdom, you can't. And I work with a with a guy who said <clears throat> he was talking about the current state of the world. And he stopped going to his church because his church became very liberally woke. And he said that 
I am all about having a conversation about different things. He said, but when somebody wants to sit down and have a conversation with me and they want to um, castrate little boys and remove the breasts from little girls, he goes, we cannot have a conversation. That is not something you can dialogue about. You are evil and you are wicked and you are demonic. He goes, so there is no common ground here There's to say, hey, how can we talk about this? It's not like, hey, how do we feed the poor? Well, one group says we should do it through um, you know, through the community, through the church. The other one says it should be done through the government. Okay, we can have a conversation about that. But when you come to the table and say, I want to kill children and cut them up and turn them into little boys, we, we are not even remotely on the same planet. So there are people, and these are some of the people that that person is referenced to through Mr. Locke, that he is saying, we cannot <clears> – <throat> And there are just evil, wicked people, and there is no conversation. And you can use a lot of different examples <clears throat> where Jesus showed love and compassion <coughs> to the tax collector and to the sinner. Uh, but uh, he went to the Sadducees and Pharisees and different religious leaders today and chewed them out. Yep. Uh, he whipped on some of them. He went through and flipped over their tables because depending on the situation determines the response. Paul showed love and mercy and compassion to people. Um, But when he came to a demoniac through a woman uh, in one of the islands in Greece who was yelling out about Jesus, he turned and rebuked the demon out of her. So there are all of the aspects that they're talking about that can be divisive are actually seen and used. There was a – you don't go, well, I'm just going to love them in Jesus' name. No, you shoot them because they're trying to destroy you and kill your family. So you got to balance all this out. All right, so just I'm so glad military Steve's here this morning. That's yeah, all we, I'm sorry. I said John Locke. It's Greg Locke. Greg, I'm sorry. Okay, he that's uh, that's who we're talking about, and he's over in in Tennessee. He's a pastor over there, and uh, yeah, he's he's questionable to say the least. Yeah, he does. He and he walks a fine line on some things, but <clears throat> yeah, I got so. Okay. Carry on. Um, Get some of that French coffee I made today. There is, um, in this vein, <clears throat> we have to understand that we have a duty to the unsaved, right? We have a duty to the unsaved um, to attempt to educate them and to win them, to let them know how much God loves them and desires for them to be uh, a part of the kingdom. But that does not mean uh, going to where they are. And, and and when I say that, I don't mean physically. I don't mean going and not going and finding them. I mean, you can't stoop to their level. Well, it doesn't mean saying, hey, guess what? You know, uh, it's all right to believe the way you believe. Right. How, how arrogant. Um, and it's one of those things that I fear, I'll be honest. It's one of those things I fear when I stand before God, that he will go, hey, I put you in a situation where you had freedom of speech. I let you be born in a country where you had freedom of speech, and you didn't say enough about fill in the blanks. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, all that's going to matter is, is whether you made it in or out. And, and how rough will it be if God looks at me and goes, hey, I gave you a platform, and you didn't tell sinners they were sinning? All right. Got to take a break. Let's do that. First break of uh, the uh, 7 o'clock hour. Bible guys are here. You got a question? Send it to us, Guys at SalemLR.com. We'll read it. We'll answer it as the show progresses. As I read the lady's letter to us, I I don't know about you all, but I could sense a real sense of anger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
of what she was saying. And, and I get the impression, because even the She's the been statements hurt about, by the church, yes. I'm just telling you. Even the statements about Locke is, um, you know, he was, that whole book burning thing was, was about fighting demonic forces. So the, the, the kind of entire tone of that email is that the church um, uh, attributing lots and lots of evil things to demonic forces. Um, I am going to flat out say there are uh, there are three influences in the world, right? There's there's God and the forces of good, and his angelic host, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There are there, anyone who doesn't believe there are demons probably shouldn't believe that there's a God either, because guess what? That that's the the other side of the coin. Um, that those were angels who have fallen. So, but you also have to account for the fact that. There's a third force there, and that's man. And we've got a whole lot of freedom, and sometimes we decide to do stupid stuff. And it is unfortunate. It's one of the. It's part of the nature of how America. You know, I, I've said it lots of times in the past, and I probably said it on here uh, that America was born in rebellion, and we've really never gotten over it. Right. And part of the, what we've done is, you know, anybody, anybody who can gather up a few people can step behind a pulpit and say whatever it is they want to say. Um, that is extraordinarily freeing. It also means that there is a lot of error and a lot of ignorance in the church. Yeah. Um, do I believe that the vast majority of people who are standing behind a pulpit are trying to do the, the right thing and trying to do good? Absolutely. Do I also believe there are some frauds out there? Absolutely. Do I also believe there are some people <coughs> who absolutely don't know what they're talking about mm-hmm. absolutely um and there are people out there who are who are hyper spiritual and they'll they'll claim everything is either you know god did that or, or the devil did that and try to leave man completely unculpable right. for what we're doing and that you you can't do that man man has free will we are allowed to choose good or evil um and, and I, I get the impression based on on her uh, message that She's probably dealing with um, someone who, um, and I'm going to guess based on on the context of the of the email that there's probably someone with a mental health issue in her life, and some pastor somewhere has accused them of of being demonic in nature rather than going a. Now look, we absolutely see from scripture that some some mm-hmm. uh, mental health issues could be demonic in nature, but. I will I will tell you, having dealt with some people over the years who um, were absolutely under demonic influence, that does not look like a normal mental health issue. Um, and those who are um, those who are a little sensitive to that sort of thing will know. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, you shouldn't have to. You ain't got to go see fifteen doctors and thirty seven pastors before someone goes, "Oh, that's demonic in nature." Um, a, a a man or woman filled with the Holy Ghost um, should be able to go, "Oh." We're dealing with something beyond mental health here. Um, so I suspect that someone in ignorance uh, has said something and injured her deeply. Uh, and on behalf of pastors everywhere, I will apologize to you for that. That should not have happened. But uh, that doesn't mean that, that demonic influences aren't real. And it doesn't mean that we're not dealing with a whole bunch of that. I think that uh, if you had the right, because it is a gifting to have that. The Bible talks about that having a spirit Discern, of discernment, right? Discerning, <clears throat> discerning of spirits. of spirits. And I think that if you, um, and because we're kind of afraid of these kind of things, that if you went to 
some of the uh, let me stop you we're afraid of these kind of things because today society says it doesn't exist correct because they say well well because science tells us it's a mental that's problem. right well spiritual science things, is god right well spiritual things will affect and affect the physical side of things <clears throat> and so i if you had that person who had that gift and you turn them loose in an asylum type place where people really are out there you would probably find that there are really more spiritual things in there than there are you know mental imbalances and things like that but if you're dealing with someone that has epilepsy or something like that where they they uh, some people will attribute that because there is a verse in the King James version where the um, young man who used to throw himself down it translates that word is an epileptic type seizure right <clears throat> and so some have used that to say that all of those things are spiritual in nature and that's just not true yeah, uh, yeah. so just as a person uh, who could be born? I had an aunt who was born with spina bifida. You know, spent her whole life in a wheelchair. There are um, people who could be born with those kind of abnormalities that also could be have things that are not seen. Yeah. So there could be those things that are balanced, and that's why you got to have people with discernment and education yep. to understand which one is which. Oh, and there's a guy running through the graveyard screaming at the, you know hollowing at the moon and everything, and yeah. throwing himself in the fire and all right. of that. There may be something else going on there. Right. Yeah. Right. And I'm I'm always like Billy said, I'm not as quick to throw it at the place of the devil. Sure drugs are um Yeah. Um are gonna have an info influence on people. Are they demonic? Yes, the influence are. But if you've cooked your brain <laughs> Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're demon possessed. You fried what God gave you and mm-hmm. now it doesn't work. So now it's not enabled to connect the way it's supposed to connect and so sometimes that, that's not something that – you don't cast out the, the, the crack demon. What you have to then pray for is that God would restore, using the scripture from Joel, the years that the locusts have eaten, that God could restore the damage that was done by the drugs. But it doesn't mean that they're demon-possessed. Yeah. Are those things the tools of the enemy? Absolutely. But it doesn't mean the minute you you know toke on a joint or hit a crack pipe, all of a sudden you're going to be um, filled with a demon. You know, but it is going to destroy your body. Yep. Yeah. There's things that happen in this world that cannot be dis- uh, explained by the knowledge of this world. Yep. Yep. I mean, well, it's just just the bottom line of it. And we only have a couple of minutes for break. It looks like so this may be a longer conversation, but uh, we have to understand how the church got into this position, and that is because the church became a very dry place for centuries, and just like we did with the replacement theology where uh, you've got preachers out talking about the imminent return of Christ and yet there is no Israel um, for some nearly you know 2,000 years so what they did is they tried to help God right um, so they go well mm, if there is no Israel and and the Bible speaks a lot about Israel then what we need to do is find a way to make the church Israel mm-hmm. which is exactly what replacement theology is so too when the church was going through a spiritual dry spell they look around and nobody's operating the gifts they have to come up with an excuse and we'll right. talk about that on the other side and with that thought we'll pick it up on the other side we got a break Bill O'Reilly is ready to speak to us, so um, it's not for me to get in front of Bill O'Reilly, I'm just telling you. So we're, we're going to have Bill uh, share some stuff for you, and then we'll be back with the Bible, guys. We're, uh, I'm going to bring in, I, I think that movies have gone a long way in this whole thing of demonic possession and all that. We'll talk about that as well here on the Dave Ellswick Show. We're back in a moment at 101.1 FM, The Answer. 
Back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Of course, Billy was talking about demon possession. Yeah, and I'll let you pick it up from um, there. Yeah, so I I was talking about the how we got to the point where we were talking about the the gifts of the Spirit and how many churches will claim that the gifts of the Spirit do not exist anymore. that they were for a, that that first generation, mm-hmm. and they were for the spreading of the gospel, um, and that that is no longer the way God operates. Now, the first thing I would say is that the spreading of the gospel is still going on, mm-hmm. so that is that is not over yet. Matter of fact, that being over is one of those key signs that it's time for the Messiah return. Not until all nations have heard, right? But the the historical reasons for that, and I was talking about how we got to replacement theology and the fact that. The Bible speaks clearly about how Israel has to has things they need to do before the Messiah could return. And if you're going to talk about imminency, if you're going to talk about the imminent return of Christ, then you have to work your way around that somehow. Um, and the way the church did that, while there was no Israel and appeared there was no way for there ever to be another Israel, is that they just claimed that the church is now spiritual Israel, and therefore you don't need a physical Israel. Well, turns out that God did not need the church's help figuring that out, and in 1948, he solved that particular problem of imminency. He, he, he rebirthed that nation and put that nation back in their historical homeland. But we also have a similar situation with the gifts of the Spirit. The, the church went through a, a period where, and I'm going to be careful here, um, because we believe in scholarship within the church. But the church went through a point uh, for, for hundreds of years where all it was really interested in was scholarship. Imagine going to church every weekend and the preacher stands up and reads from Scripture in a language you do not speak and do not understand and then expounds upon it for five minutes and then dismisses you. You're not getting a lot out of that, and neither did the vast majority of the Western church for hundreds of years. And as a result, the church became a very dry place. And when the, when the church became a very dry place, this, the, the gifts were not in operation in, 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 for huge swaths of the church's history. And the, how did they explain that? Again, like Israel, they needed to explain, you know, if we are men and women of God— and the scripture indicates that we should be operating in the gifts, and we are not operating in the gifts. How can this possibly be true? Uh, and they they explained that by going, well, the gifts were just for that first generation, just for the spreading of the gospel. Um, well, that's a really convenient excuse if you're out of alignment with God and therefore don't have the gifts. But mm-hmm. the gifts have never gone away. We see them in operation all the time, particularly within the Pentecostal churches today. Uh, I mean, I, I grew up. Pentecostal. I've seen all manner of well, the of the the gifts in spirit, but are the gifts in operation? But I see them everywhere else too. We see mm-hmm. people who, you know, uh, um, we see people who you would you would think well they come from a, a, a church that doesn't, and we get reports of you know uh, preachers all over the place suddenly operating in gifts these days. Um, it's the the spirit. Um, the spirit does not change. The spirit is is part of God, and God does not change, and therefore his direction for the world has not changed either. And therefore, what he has given to us, he is not just going to take away. Um, that's not the way God works. So the fact that he gave us the spirit and gave us the gifts to go with those, um, that is not something he's going to withdraw until um, perhaps perhaps after we are we are ruling and reigning. Well, just like earth. scholarship. Um we can get lost, too involved. Account, lost accountability. Yep. Um, 
what we saw, the damage that we saw done to the moves of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit that came because yeah. of all the people that prophesied about the 2024 election. 20, uh, 20 election with Trump being reelected, <clears throat> and so there was some of that where it, they took and it, it actually made mockery of the things of God because these people were saying, "Thus saith the Lord." Right, and so there was this. Hey, aspect. I know, I know something. All right, and again, this happened in biblical times, not today. Those people would have been taken out and stoned to death today, back yes, then. Yes, absolutely. Now, not now, but back then they would have been stoned to death. I, I would be in favor of a whooping. Yeah, uh, because I think firing them would have been the, yes. the number one. I thing think that to do. <clears throat> those places that in, there are in but I jokingly said this from a from a political standpoint, uh, and I'll say it the way I said it. It's not the real Christian way, but I am so tired of politicians, and I'll come back to why I'm tired of some of the preachers too in a minute. If I hear one more commercial about how we're going to have better schools and better health care, I just want to go up and slap them in the face because they've been saying the same thing for 30 years and nothing's changed. For 50 years, they've been using the same old dry lines. And why? You ready? This is going to hurt a little bit because you people have been buying it. Right. right? And so the reason people come out and they falsely prophesy is because the people keep buying it. And then they go, oh, well, that that pastor just missed it. No, no. He didn't miss it. Yep. He didn't he just say that God told That's him. right. And that man, and if you turn on his videotapes, if you go to his YouTube channel, his Facebook page, you are enabling. Right. Any one of those men that came out and prophesied that said, God said, you shut off, unless they repented, because there are some that did, there are very few. But unless they've repented, you don't listen to them. You don't go back and go, well, I need another word from the Lord. I need to hear what this man, God said. God didn't say anything to that man. He missed yep, it. Yep. <clears throat> and so because we as a body, just as we don't hold politicians accountable, we're not holding preachers accountable. And so that's why and you're like, why? This is kind of getting off track from the question. No, it's not. It's because the woman that asked the question, because people have now claimed these things that were demoniacs that were not, because they didn't have the discernment to understand what was going on. Yeah. <clears throat> but at the same time, people have – we have moved to the place where psychology took over theology. And now we psychologically just poo-poo away anything that is spiritual. and. But we've also gone to the place because these believers would blame everything on the spiritual or the psychological reason why I feel the way I feel instead of dealing with the facts. And that's why you've got to have balance and discernment because I counseled some people that would never take responsibility for their own actions. They would blame it on the spirit of division that came into the room, Uh, the spirit of chaos. It was like, no, you – that, that coat walked in the room, and you put that dude on and zipped it up and wore it. That's what happened. Right. It didn't influence you. It didn't make you say the way the things you said them. It's because you chose to act the way you act. <clears throat> and so there, there's got to be an accountability on both sides, uh, whether it be the things of the Spirit or just people's actions. And that's why I was glad Billy opened it up with saying there are three things at play here. There is the spirit realm. There is the demonic spirit realm, the angelic spirit realm, and then there's just the human nature. Yep. And when we make decisions to do things. Well, when we make decisions to say, well, yeah, you said that, but I believe this way. Not that the Bible believes, but you believe this way. And then you cause a division within the church. It is, and that's why I go back to the thing about the theology, because it's so easy to dispute a lot of the 
crazy theologies out there. It really is. And it's why we talk about the Hebraic things a lot, because we want to get back to understanding how they were understood in the first century. But we also have a very simple statement of simple theology. Yes, we believe in the Sabbath. Yes, we believe in keeping the feast. Yes, we believe in going back to the Hebraic roots of the faith. But to be a Christian, to be the basic fundamental Christian, you've got to believe in God. Not any God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. yud Yahweh is his name. <clears throat> you got to believe in his son, Jesus Christ. And you've got to live a moral and ethical life. How much clearer does it need to be that Jesus said, I am yep. the way, the truth, and the light. No one, no one comes unto the Father except <clears throat> by me. Outside of those three things, everything else is up for debate. Everything else is up for debate as far as salvation. And we can come together, and we should be able to come together, and we try to reach out with other churches to come together and say, hey, do you, if we believe in these same basic three fundamental things, then, then we're all on the same page. Right. Now, what you believe about um, some of the things in the spirit realm, the future, the past, that's, that's up for debate. But what you cannot do is say, well, I believe all past lead to God. Then we're not on the same page. Right. We do not serve the same God. At that I point. believe that I can steal, commit adultery, and lie and still be a Christian. Then we're not on the same page. No, because you're going against what the Word says. Correct. And so that's when I'm addressing this stuff from the idea of why all this division. Yeah. People have divided over the things that don't matter. Dividing over the things that matter is okay. Yeah. And, and even at one point when there was a man sleeping around with somebody he wasn't supposed to be sleeping around with, it, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, throw him out. Yep. That yep. the devil may get a hold of him and save his soul. <clears throat> that he may change. So <clears throat> you can't go sleeping around and then come to church every Sunday morning, Saturday afternoon, whenever it is you go, and say, well, I believe and love the Lord. Uh, no, you don't. Right. You're violating his word. All right. I now remember <laughs> what the other question was about. Okay. And this was what it was. Please explain pre-trib theology we can do that in about five minutes Uh, we'll we'll take it up when we come back final break here in this hour with the bible guys billy's here steve's here possessed by a cough i'm just kidding i'm just kidding and uh, we'll come back and talk more on the dave ellswick show Back with you. Uh, I want to. I want to talk a little bit about culture upstream from politics and everyday life. I want to do that a little bit because I think that's where this demonic thing plays in a little bit. But let's go back and somebody wants you to talk about pre-tribulation theory, or you know, I. I, I Again, I'm, well, a, theory, I'm a pan-tribulation person. All right. right. I, I believe that's all panning out in the end. That's just the way I am. Yeah. All right. Well, and there's also a dangerous side of that, too, right? Because there's an aspect of that where you could be completely ignorant of what's going on. And a lot of people, because for so long the church overly focused on end-time stuff from the 70s all the way up to the year 2000, that they, people got tired of it. Well, yeah. now there's 50 times more things happening in our day today than has ever happened. Yeah, the real since, stuff's going down. Right, and, and, and everybody's going, oh, yeah, we've yeah. heard this before. So both sides of that can be extreme. <clears throat> but the, the pre-tribulation theory is that the church will be removed prior to the beginning of the tribulation period. Okay, so uh, that's a pre-trib? That's, if they're saying a pre-trib, mm-hmm. um, they, they, um, um, or did they mean pre-millennial? <clears throat> no, so, they say pre-trib. Okay, pre-tribulation is that the church will be removed prior to the beginning of the tri- uh, tribulation period. If they meant pre-millennial, it meant that the Lord will return before the beginning of the millennial reign. Right. right. Hey, Steve, uh, what is the tribulation? 
There you go. <laughs> right. I'll toss you the easy one. <clears throat> yeah, well, I don't know how easy that one is. Well, it it is easy enough when, right. when we when we start talking about the the idea of a pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, it's easy enough to explain what people mean by right. that. Right. What they mean by that is there is a the, the belief out there is what's known as the Book of Daniel, um, chapter nine. There's a seventy seventieth week of Daniel, and you see <clears throat> parts of Daniel broken into seven. You see Book of Revelation broken into sevens. And so everybody believes that the, the the tribulation period will be the last seven years of human history prior to the millennial reign. They don't Messiah. think that it might be just a coincidence, huh? That, well, no, that the opposite. They believe it, it is saying that there will be a literal seven. But Oh, I understand that. But there is a debate, as with all things, whether it's seven, whether it's three and a half, whether it even really is going to happen that way. Yeah. And so that's why, in part, I do agree with your, your statement about being pan- because one of the things that will happen, and I was listening to a guy that Billy and I listened to yesterday <clears throat> named John Haller, and he was making a point that uh, it was something like 70% was the number he threw out of the prophecies about Jesus coming the first time were fulfilled in the last week of his ministry yeah, of his life. Yeah. And because we want to follow the pattern of interpretation, then we, we can assume that that's quite possible that the prophecies about his second coming could be fulfilled in that last week of prior to his return so that's why in a sense your statement is true and we have to be careful we need to have a general idea how things are going to play out but we will not understand it until it starts to that's pan, see that's pan where out. i'm at i'm yeah, at yeah. that point that yeah i'm i'm a i'm paying attention to the signs that you know jesus said be, be watching for this but I don't know if it's going to be pre-trib, post-trib. Yeah. It's going to be all millennial. It's going to be you know pre-millennial, yeah. post-millennial. I don't know. Yeah. I'll just say I'm trying to be ready every day. Yeah. Amen. And, and I will say so. There are a couple things here, um, right? There, there is um, the the idea of the tribulation should affect you just like normal life. We we plan. Um, to live to be very, very old, and we also plan that the good Lord could take us tonight. You have to live both ways. You have to live a righteous life knowing that you could report to the Savior this evening, mm-hmm. but you have to plan like he's not coming back for quite some time. And and the, the millennia, the, the, the tribulation, the concept of the tribulation, you have to do the same thing. I pray. I, I, I personally, and I will, I will make that statement. I've made that statement before, so it's nothing new. I personally believe in a post-tribulation rapture, but I pray that I am wrong. Right. I pray that the good Lord has to correct me on this specific issue and go, hey, I didn't plan for you to go through all that. But the other thing that, that we have to recognize that the church has done a really poor job of is the church has forgotten that there has been 2,000 years of history since those things which were forward-looking were written. Guess what? Some of them have happened already. <gasps> I know that's going to come as a complete shock, but God has not been silent nor lazy for the last 2,000 years. And some of those things absolutely have happened. Does that mean that they're not going to happen again? No, it does not mean they're not going to happen again. We talk about the fact that pattern tends to be prophecy, right? Uh, God tends to work in these patterns, and he repeats them over and over and over. So guess what? If it's happened once before or multiple times before, it's possible it'll happen again. So I don't reject... uh, I don't reject all forward-looking prophecy, but understand that a significant portion of what we tend to think about what the modern church tends to think of is still coming, a lot of that stuff happened in 70 A.D. Mm-hmm. A lot of that stuff happened when the, the temple collapsed and when Israel was driven from the, the land in, in 135. So these, these things have 
many of these things have already happened. Um, you know, when, when we look at scriptures that talk about Israel, but Israel today has flat out said we would rather turn Israel into a sea of glass than ever leave this land again. They're not going anywhere again. It's just not going to happen. So um, we, we have to be really cautious. Uh, we can get we can get so future focused that we lose sight of the fact that God has never been not working. There's never been a time when God wasn't working in the world. One of the things that really changed my view about how I look at prophetic things was a statement a young man made that his dad had said to him. And that was, the greatest spiritual event in the history of mankind was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. The second greatest, or you could argue the resurrection will be the second greatest event, and the greatest event will be his return. Right, right. And since all of those things happened, this great spiritual event... <clears throat> they had to happen through the the geopolitical environment of the day. Yep. So it had to yep. include people like Pontius Pilate, 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 Pilate Pontius the Pirate, Pontius that's, Pirate. I'm, that's who I'm going as Halloween. I'm Pontius the Pirate, <laughs> Erg. or Herod, or the other leaders of the day. And so we have to keep our eye on the geopolitical environment in our day because that same spiritual fulfillment is going to come right until, as Billy likes to say, he splits the eastern sky. So we have to Amen. look through the geopolitical lens because the spirit realm is operating through the geopolitical lens. Right. And, and before someone writes me going, oh, you approve of Halloween, the answer is no. That was a joke. Right. I don't do Halloween. My family never has. So, yeah. no. Right. Bottom line, I talk about culture affects our real normal everyday life. Uh-huh. The way we see uh, a lot of uh, demonic possession and all of that goes back to movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can take you right back to The Exorcist, and boy, there was a lot of interest in demonic uh, possession and everything after that movie, and a lot of people got they get their, their their get their spirituality and their thoughts about that from a movie. Yeah, I'm going to warn you about a movie that's coming out this Friday. It's called Pray for the Devil, not P R A Y, but P R E Y. Pray for the Devil. It's a woke movie. I'm going to warn you about that as well because it's about a 25-year-old woman who feels she is called to be an exorcist, but the Catholic Church won't let her be an exorcist because she's a woman. Mm. All right. This is a woke. This it makes it a woke movie. I'm just letting you know. Uh, and she takes on the devil, evidently, in this movie. So uh, keep that in mind when you watch it that, you know, as you were saying, Billy and, and, and Steve, that man's involved in all of this, too. Right, right. And they're steering the pot on a lot of this stuff. And just keep that in mind. But a lot of people get their history. They get their theology. They get yep. it all from movies. Yep. I was watching a preacher once, and this is a man who operates in that world. And um, he said that I will tell you that he doesn't think that everything in Hollywood's demonic use, but I tell no. you that they, he goes, they have tapped into that realm. No, I don't he said because I believe the, that. He said the way that they portray some of the demonic world is, in fact, the true. Extremely and, accurate in yeah. some cases, yeah. And so it, it, it is his belief that they are, in some instances, like some of these movies, like there was one movie I read the article, I forgot the name of it, it came out not too long ago, or like a week or two ago, and how people were, were, were passing out and vomiting because of how vile this movie was made. I know which movie you're I talking about. I just can't called. remember what the name of it is. Yeah, it had about very, a very, clown or something. In yeah, it. yeah uh, the Terrifier. Terrifier. That's what it's called. Yeah, don't need that in my life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't even know why people would punish themselves by seeing it. And I wouldn't be surprised that those things are completely, uh, truly demonic in, their, in the people who are putting them together and all that kind of stuff. Well, if you live in it, 
It's going why, to affect you. I mean, why yep. would you do that? Why would you submit it's your going, submit yourself? I to don't understand stuff? why some people would would give their their love and their devotion to Satan, because if there's a Satan, there must be a God. Right. Why would you go and give it to? I guess the because they want everything him. now, and they think that Satan will give them everything now. It's not waiting for what comes from the goodness of the I'm Lord. I'm really doing a good job not making that political right now. All right. <laughs> Let's take a break. We'll be back next Tuesday with the Bible Guys. Billy, thank you. Steve, thank yes, you as well. Don't forget, I'll be back at 9 o'clock, and uh, Mark Lowry will be with us. He's a state representative now, but he's running to be the state treasurer. Into the 9 o'clock hour of the Dave Ellswick Show. And a little change. We were going to have Mark Lowry. We've changed it around to have him on tomorrow. So uh, we're going to do a little talk uh, today about what's going on uh, in the country as far as the elections are going. I know you like to keep up with that. I like to keep up with it. So we'll do that. We'll talk about some legislation that passed in Illinois doesn't go into uh, into law until January 7th, but uh, needs to be talked about because there's just this movement amongst uh, a lot of prosecutors uh, in the uh, in the cities uh, that are doing stupid, stupid things. And if they're doing them uh, in places like uh, the state of of uh, of uh, Illinois. Uh, know that that kind of stuff is going to filter into uh, Arkansas, and we're going to have to keep our eyes open about it. I, I believe that Mayor Frank Scott would pass some of this stuff if he di- didn't think it was going to be detrimental to his his career. But if he did it, I'd tell you what, it would be all kinds of, of uh, bad news to pay. Uh, let, let's talk about this. Uh, it's being called America's Most Dangerous Law. And uh, let me just bring you up on this. I got the material here. It says, crime in Illinois could spiral out of control after a new law overhauling the state's criminal justice system goes to effect in January. What do they mean, could spiral? It's already spiraling out of control in, in Chicago. This guy who's talking about this, this is the mayor of a Chicago sub- suburb, all he's got to look is look as far as uh, downtown to see that uh, killings and uh, all kinds of of uh, illegal activity has spiraled out of control. But let me bring you up to what is being talked about. 
When I said that this is the most dangerous law I've ever seen, I believe that. That according to Orland Park Mayor Keith Peckow, who is running for Congress in Illinois' 6th District. He's speaking about the Illinois Safety, Accountability, Fairness, and Equity Today Act that changes multiple parts of the Illinois justice system with provisions like ending cash bail, limiting how flights determine whether defendants are flight risks, and allows defendants under electronic monitoring to leave home for 48 hours before you can charge them with escape. This is, this, that, that in itself, that one right there is crazy. That, that's absolutely nuts. The legislation was signed by Governor J.B. Pritzler uh, last year. It goes into effect January 1st. I thought it was the 7th. It is the 1st. And uh, the 764-page Safety Act passed both chambers of Illinois legislature in seven hours, just seven hours, both chambers, House and Senate, with no formal hearings or any debate on the laws and without input from stakeholders. That, according to three former Illinois justice system officials, uh, made that statement in a Chicago Tribune op-ed. Said, uh, the whole thing is considering uh, concerning to me because it was just a potpourri of everything, and it uh, didn't bring into consideration law enforcement, judges, or um, all the stakeholders in place. It was basically to allow criminals to go free. That's according to uh, Peckow, the guy that's the mayor. Uh, The law also implements a higher standard on when a defendant can be detained for several crimes, including second-degree murder, aggravated battery, arson, and kidnapping. The new rule uh, replaces cash bail with a judge's determination on the defendant's flight risk and risk uh, to the public from the evidence prosecutors submit. The reforms being passed around the country revolve around the idea that, quote, the criminal shouldn't be held, said Pacquiao. Uh, Opponents have argued that a safety act will combat systematic racism and make the criminal justice system more equitable since, according to a 2022 U.S. Commission on Civil Rights report, minorities disproportionately face higher rates of pre-child detention. Quote, will be ending wealth-based jailing and restoring the presumption of innocent in the courtroom, which is something that is really under fire and is not valued under our current system, said Kareem Butler, pre-trial justice fellow, of the Chicago Appleseed Center for Fair Courts. In addition to eliminating cash bail, uh, they also highlighted how the law will drop trespassing from a Class A misdemeanor to Class B. He said police, as a result, won't be able to physically remove nonviolent trespassers from a property. I wonder how that's going to work for that, that couple that showed up at their new home and somebody had already moved into it. 
I don't know if you heard about that story or not. It's, people went there and uh, uh, said, hey, what are you doing here? This is our house. And they just shut the door in their face. And the police aren't doing anything to remove the people from the home. It's a house they bought from the bank that uh, they had just, uh, the people had just let it go back to the bank. Uh, and somebody else bought it, but somebody uh, homestead, was homesteading in it. And now they're not moving them out of the house. They didn't buy it. They hadn't purchased it. They had no contract. They had nothing except that they moved in. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, how they're going to uh, move them out of that house and let the people who own the house move in. In in addition to eliminating cash bail, uh, the law will drop trespassing, as I just said, from a Class A misdemeanor to Class B. In Orland Park, says their mayor, quote, our police officers would say if someone's trespassing, the best tool they have to get someone to leave willingly is to say, you're trespassing, please leave, or we're going to arrest you. Well, now they can't arrest. They can only write a ticket. So they get to stay in that uh, business or on your property or at your house, etc. Quote, we create potential anarchy because law enforcement can't do their job And then people feel that they have to do that job, he said. People aren't trained in the use of force. They're not trained to de-escalate a situation. Lots of bad things can happen out of this, and it could potentially spiral out of control relatively quickly. The mayor said he hopes Illinoisans will vote out the state legislators who passed this bill, as well as the governor. I really hope that this thing gets repealed, he said. I hope the voters wake up and do the right thing because their vote matters in this. Think about that for a second. The only thing that you can do with a trespasser is write a ticket. Here, a ticket. uh, This is not your house. Um, You have to leave this house. Uh, And if you don't, we're going to write you a ticket. That's going to really make people uh, adhere to the law now, isn't it? And the other thing, and I agree with what this mayor is saying, if you owned a house and somebody moved into your house and let's say you came home, somebody else is living in your home and they refuse to vacate the premises, um, I can be honest with you and say that that's the reason I have firearms. I will remove them. And that's what this mayor is worried about. He's worried that if the police are not allowed to, that uh, uh, people are going to make the the move to to move them uh, themselves. You know, quote, vigilante justice is what they would would say that it's going to be. But, uh, you know, this is is just crazy stuff in, in our country. And I think that I've seen it. I've seen it all. And I have it. It just keeps getting stranger and uh, and stranger in the way people are acting uh, in this country. Hey, don't forget about uh, the folks over at uh, our my buddy. It's my buddy. I don't know why I was going to go into a long, in-depth explanation. 
talking uh, about Pat uh, Davis. I want to talk to you about uh, getting his insurance for yourself so that you can save some money. You know, he's got he's got the team to do it for you. He's got a team that can get you the best deals out there where you're going to save 30 to 50 percent on health insurance. Now, you know and I know that uh, with the price of gas, you sometimes drive way out of your way to save a nickel a gallon. Well, you're going to save more than just a nickel uh, if you go change uh, your policy to something that the people care about you and they want the best for you. And that's where Pat Davis and his, his, uh, his group come in. Uh, if you give him a call to get a health insurance quote, you're going to be, I believe, really present, uh, pleasantly surprised. And, and what do you got to lose as far as that goes? And why don't you call him right now, in fact? Uh, Pat Davis, your health plan man, could save you 30 to 50% on health insurance, and you get paid to go to the doctor. It's open enrollment right now. Give Pat a call and get this taken care of as soon as you can so you can start saving money as soon as you can. You know, you get paid for smart health care choices. See, any doctor that you want to see, cut out middlemen that usually rob you of, of money that goes to them that really should be going to you. Give Pat a call, 501-605-6935. Or visit him online to yourhealthplanman.com. But phone number is 501-605-6935. And you know what they'll do at Pat Davis? They're going to treat you right. Back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. All right, let's move into talking about the elections and what's going on. Early voting started yesterday here in Arkansas. Uh, I was in a line in Cabot there by the school library along with my wife, about 15 people long. It was a, uh, uh, I guess it took us about 20 minutes to take care of, of voting. I had heard uh, from people that before lunch, uh, it had been um, double that. So people are turning out uh, to vote. Now, are more people turning out than, uh, by, let's say, 2018, uh, the last off-year election? We won't know that for a, a few days uh, because it was the first day. So a lot of people, like myself, went out and took care of business so I don't have to worry about it later on. So uh, I don't know how many of those people that are out there. Some people want to vote Im- immediately because, you know, you can vote. Let's get get out there and vote. Uh, and we'll have to see if, if that kind of a, of a turnout uh, has any wind in its sails. I don't know if it will or not. We'll find out. Monday, I'll be calling the Sec- uh, Secretary of State's office to find out how early voting is going. That'll give us a, a little bit of a, a feel for what's happening. But uh, things are tightening up all across the country as far as these uh, different races. When I see that a Republican trails by one point two three points, I figure they're probably up two or three points. And that, that's the way I feel when you consider how they under they undercount Republicans that are going to the polls and things of that nature. So right now, I believe that there is a large red wave coming, a very large red wave. And the Democrats are not helping themselves. I mean, look, I, I watched what the president said uh, to uh, Democratic uh, workers 
and how he said that the wind now was at their back? No, it's not. That's a flat-out lie. He knows that that's a lie. They are trailing in most of these big races. Right now, they're trailing in Georgia, they're trailing in Nevada, and they're trailing in Pennsylvania. And internal polling by uh, folks in the Republican Party show that the uh, spread between uh, the, uh, the different candidates is a lot bigger than what's being shown on um, many of these other polls because they are weighed towards Democrats. And then you got the people that are walking around that are totally in a daze and don't even understand what's going on. President's one of those. The uh, Secretary of Transportation, Pete uh, Buttigieg, is another. He lambasted Republicans during a Monday night appearance on CBS's Late Show, accusing conservatives of not proposing solutions to America's inflation uh, crisis. Stop right there. Just stop right there. See, now, you got a guy that's sitting there on the, on, on the stage that's the host of CBS Late Show. And he doesn't ask Buttigieg, well, what are you looking for them to tell you? You're the party in power. You're the party that's supposed to have uh, gone out and, and have the, uh, the vision uh, for this country. And the vision for this country and the policies you've passed have cost, uh, cost the highest inflation in 40 years, driven food prices up ridiculously high, raised the price of gas, uh, and uh, is, is starting to really have its effect on the stock market and put us into a recession. What do you want the, the, the Republicans to say? Republicans can say anything. They can, they can uh, present anything. Let's say over in the House, they present stuff. I've had on, uh, you know, Congressman Hill, Congressman Westerman, they'll tell you. They put forth a bill. It never sees the light of day. It sits on the, uh, uh, you know, Pelosi's desk. It doesn't get presented doesn't get voted on unless Pelosi knows that it's going to get destroyed uh, by the vote that's taken. They're not interested in solutions. They're not interested in solutions from Republicans. They don't give a damn. That is the biggest bunch of garbage I've ever heard from Buttigieg. And an even bigger uh, cowardness by the person who's the host of that show of not asking that question. He goes on, can anybody name the top five things that they've suggested to fight inflation? Can anyone name three? How about one? And he's talking to Stephen Colbert. Do I need to tell you Stephen Colbert is a liberal? I don't need to tell you that. You know that. But the bottom line, the Republicans have no power in the House to get anything passed. It's the Democrats that are in control House. I will say not for much longer, but I do believe, you know, they're in control right now. And with Pelosi holding the gavel, being the speaker, she controls what they hear and what they don't hear. Buterick's comments come after the U.S. inflation rate surged all through September. According to the latest Consumer Price Index report, prices have climbed 8.2 percent year to year. 
And I would have loved nothing more than to have a debate between the Democratic Inflation Reduction Act and the Republican Inflation Reduction Act on the House or the floor in the Senate. But there was only one, and it was ours, and luckily it passed. You don't want any debates? That's, that's bull. It's a pure... Oh, boy. You guys are being... Ga- they're trying to gaslight you left and right. He also criticized election denial, saying that accepting the outcomes of elections is, quote, one of the most important principles in a democracy. When you lose, you accept the outcome. And I've had to do that, he explained, you know, referencing his 2020 presidential campaign. Winning is much more fun than losing. I've done both. Let me tell you something else. Losing? Abrams hasn't uh, accepted that she lost uh, in in Georgia. She said that uh, it was voter suppression. And Hillary Clinton. Election a couple of uh, elections back, she's never accepted those. She said that she, it was cheated on her. It's not Republicans only; it's Democrats as well that are making these types of uh, statements. He and Colbert also discussed the one-year anniversary of the bipartisan $1.2 trillion infrastructure structure investment and jobs act. Uh, Colbert asked Buderig how he felt about Senator Rick Scott and Representative Tony Gonzalez, both Republicans, receiving infrastructure funding after voting against the bill. And, uh, of course, that that's a set-up question. And uh, it is striking that people went to the Florida House of Senate and said no and then took the money. I'll have something to say about that when we come back. It's the Dave Ellswick Show. We'll take a break, and then we'll return right here. Let's get back to it. Uh, I want to remind you about ICU protection. Uh, If you need a security system for your home or for your business, I can't uh, offer anybody else better uh, than uh, Billy Mack and the folks at ICU protection. I mean, look, they they do the security for Nuke One. If they do that, they can protect your home or your business. And uh, the other thing that makes them better for you to choose is that you're going to pay for the service. I mean, I don't think anybody uh, you know feels bad about that. I I, I want pay this for the service if they have a good service. Here's what I'm glad I didn't have to do. A lot of these uh, you know groups come to your home. They'll tell you how many uh, door and window sensors you need, how many cameras you should have. They'll talk to you about, uh, you know, the analytics and all of that. And they'll say, hey, yeah, you know, your monthly bill is only going to be, let's say, 75 bucks a, a month. But before we can do that, with all the, you know, equipment we're putting in your home, you're going to have to write us a check for like 400, 500, 600 bucks. That's how much that equipment costs. That's not the way it works at ICU protection. Here's how it works. You'll pay for the the protection, all right? You'll pay for the service, but you will not pay for the hardware. That belongs to you, and it's all yours from the moment that it's installed at your house. I had Billy Mack on last week, and... You know, he made the statement, it takes me about four years to finally break even and start making money off off of clients because he absorbs that initial cost on the equipment and the hardware. 
So go with the the best. Go with the people who have proven that they can prove they can uh, secure your home, secure your business, which is ICU protection. You give them a call uh, at 501-205-1333. 501-205-1333 and they'll take good care of you. All right, so let's talk about what's happening across the country right now and why I'm telling you I believe that there is a red tsunami coming. And I do believe it is because all of the races that now the polls are saying are tightening up. Remember a few weeks ago, I told you that the polls weren't right because it was showing like Democrats were up and Republicans were trailing by six and eight points. Look, I knew that was that was garbage. I mean, plain, flat out garbage. I knew that the voters are smarter than that. They know why the gas prices are higher. They know why food prices are higher. They know why the housing market is, is uh, you know, imploding. They know why a lot of this is happening. They know why the school system is the way it is. They know why their kids are so many points behind in reading and math. And it's because of this administration and the Democratic Party who have set up and made kids stay home when they didn't need to stay home and could have gone back to school, but they didn't. And because they didn't go back to school, now they're trailing in their learning. And suddenly, Weingartner, uh, the head of the, uh, you know, the the union, teachers union, is suddenly so quiet she can't. She does not. She's not saying nothing now, not a word. So the you know GOP is really gaining ground now. I mean, pulling up. If you believe the polls, I believe they they're not only gaining ground and catching up. They're going ahead by a lot, and it won't be close. I'm just telling you, there's not going to be, it's seven and eight point differentials are going to be the norm, and not uh, you know one half point and things of that nature. Take a look at what's happening over in the uh, key uh, gubernatorial races that are going on. Nevada Democratic uh, Democratic Governor Steve Sisolak is now trailing his GOP opponent by almost six points. I would say that's probably nine points. That's in a new Insider Advantage slash American Greatness poll two weeks from Election Day. Sisolak has struggled to overcome significant Democratic headwinds in the final weeks of his campaign for re-election. What are those headwinds? Inflation, terrible border policy, high food prices, schools, you can just go on and on. Gas prices, keep on naming them. They're all there. There's nothing there positive for him to talk about. Clark County Sheriff Joe uh, Lombardo, his Republican uh, opponent, has run even with or beaten Sisolak in every poll since August. That according to a tracker by 538. The election analysis outlet has Lombardo leading Sisolak 46 to 44 in its polling average. Uh, the, uh, the poll measured Lombardi's support at 48.5%, his support 48.5%, Sisolak at 42.8%. Uh, that's not two points, folks. That, that, that's uh, six points. And here, here's some other news for you. 
Michigan GOP gubernatorial nominee Tudor Dixon is now tied with Democratic incumbent Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Less than three weeks before Election Day, that according to a new poll, the uh, Michigan News and Trafalgar poll released Sunday shows Dixon with a 47.9 of, uh, of the vote uh, for Whitmer, who's got 48.4% of the vote. That's uh, within the margin of error, so that's a dead heat uh, as well. So uh, keep that in mind. I would say that probably uh, the uh, Michigan challenger, Dixon, is probably um, a little bit of head there, maybe by two points. Uh, here's an interesting story, and I've, I've been kind of feeling this now uh, as I talk to uh, fellow Republicans and fellow con- conservatives. This from the Washington Examiner. More Republicans now believe Florida Governor Ron DeSantis should have a, quote, great deal, unquote, of influence over the party compared to former President Donald Trump, highlighting a seeming shift in loyalty ahead of the 2024 presidential election. Now, look, we can talk about this, but it doesn't mean a whole lot because, you know, we're two years away. We're two years away. Uh, from this, and in fact, about a, about a year, year and a half away, uh, when you get into doing the primaries, seventy-two percent of Republican voters say DeSantis should have a great deal or good amount of influence over the party's direction, compared to sixty-four percent who said the same about Trump, according to a recent poll, as an ABC News Ipso poll. Democrats have a more expansive pool of politicians. All of them suck, by the way. Uh, they want to have an influence over the party. Let me let me just read this list of names, okay? With 81% wanting former President Barack Obama guiding the party, followed by Joe Biden, 69%. You still want... The man doesn't... It's only got like a 41% approval rating in... And uh, when you get into specific issues, he's in the 30s. And you want him to lead your party? Well, please do, all right? Because it, be, it, it will be fun to, to beat you like a bad drum come uh, 2024. Uh, followed uh, by Vice President Harris at 65%, Bernie Sanders, Massachusetts Warren, both at 63%, and a New York representative, uh, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, 56%. That's your bench, folks, in the Democrat Party. That's your bench. Um, also, Republicans are making strides in three vital swing states. Look, the fight for the Senate is real. We need to win that. We really do. I have no doubt that we'll win the House. It's just a matter of by how much. Uh, and it's not going to be like three seats. It's going to be in the neighborhood of 50-something seats, maybe 80-something seats before it's all said and done. With the uh, midterm home stretch underway, Republicans appear to have momentum now on their side in their quest to flip the Senate as three states 
have moved their direction in the key forecasts. Real clear politics. Senate projection recently moved three battleground Senate races to not leaning GOP, but now to the GOP. They had started out, by the way, leaning Democrat. Uh, Arizona, Georgia, and Nevada. Meanwhile, 538 has uh, tightened its projections for the Senate amid a deluge of polling showing the Republicans gaining ground. 538 gives Republicans a 45% chance of winning the Senate, which diverges from real clear politics projection that the GOP will secure a 53- to 47-seat majority in the lower chamber. Both forecasts project that Republicans are favored to win the House, and given the 50-50 split in the Senate, the GOP only needs to win one seat to be able to secure uh, the upper chamber. And if that happens, let me remind you again how powerful the state of Arkansas becomes. In the House, you'll have Congressman Westerman, head of natural resources. You'll have Congressman Hill being uh, uh, one of the subcommittees dealing with banking. Maybe get rid of the stupid laws about uh, banks not loaning money to oil companies and things of that nature. Uh, Womack will have a, a, a good seat as well. And then over in the Senate, John Bozeman will be head of the Ag Committee. If you're a farmer, that's got to be an exciting thought, that you have somebody that is from uh, here in, uh, in, in Arkansas helping to call the shots up in Washington, D.C. Nate Silver, talking about these uh, polls, said, I was a bit skeptical of the GOP poll surge before, but I think the evidence for it now is pretty convincing. And if anything, I'm more bearish on Democratic chances than our model is. Interactive polls, Republican uh, generic ballot polling average, pre-Dobbs, Republicans 44.3%, Democrats 41.5%. Now, Republicans 48%, Democrats 44%. The wave is coming, and it's going to wash away a lot of the dirt in Washington, D.C. Let's take a break, and then we'll uh, finish up this segment of the Dave Ellswick Show. Back with you. Let's finish up uh, this Tuesday edition of the the Dave Ellswick Show. Uh, Tomorrow, uh, we will have, of course, Congressman Hill and Congressman Westerman on uh, the station to tell you what's going on as far as in Washington. Of course, they're at home right now uh, because uh, Congress, if I'm not mistaken, doesn't reconvene now until November 14th uh, because of the election coming up on the 8th and giving uh, candidates a chance to get out and campaign for their seats or for other people to help them uh, get, you know, win a, an election or whatever. So they'll be on with us in the uh, the first part of the Dave Ellswick Show at 7. Uh, we'll get underway at 6 a.m., of course. But then at uh, 9 o'clock, uh, joining us is going to be uh, candidate for uh, Arkansas Treasurer, and that will be Mr. Lowry. 
he'll be with us and mark lowry will tell us about his his campaign plus we'll talk to him he's still a state representative and i'm sure he's been in the caucus and he's been talking about uh, how they and what they want to do uh come on january 9th of next year when the general assembly gets back together again and let me remind you we will broadcast live uh several days uh, uh, determining about the uh, General Assembly. We'll be over there covering that up pretty doggone uh, close. Hey, best uh, line of the, all the debates that went on last night. Uh, good debate tonight. Uh, Fetterman and uh, Oz are going to get at it and, and, uh, and rumble. Here's what uh, Governor DeSantis said on whether or not he's running for president in 2024 because Chris kept pushing it. You know, tell people that uh, you're going to serve four years, blah, 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 blah. And here's what DeSantis said. You know, I know that Charlie, that's Charlie Chris, is interested in talking about 2024 and Joe Biden. But I just want to make things very, very clear. The only worn out old donkey I'm looking to put out to pasture is Charlie Crist. Great, great line uh, from DeSantis in his debate uh, last night. And then let me cover one last thing. This doesn't deal with the elections. It deals with money. The majority of that $122 billion that was allocated to opening schools, it's gone unused. I mean, the money that they came out with uh, dealing with uh, COVID uh, got out to people post-haste, I mean, fast. In March 2021, the Biden administration released the federal government's largest pool of pandemic relief for public schools. The American Rescue Plan infused campuses with $122 billion to reopen buildings, address mental health needs, and help students who had fallen behind academically. The need was so urgent, they said, that two-thirds of the money, that's $81 billion, was released less than two weeks after that plan was signed into law and before the Education Department could approve each state's spending plan. But despite having access to the money, school systems throughout the country reported spending less than 15% of the federal funding during the 2021-22 school year. You think maybe that had a little bit to do with, you know, this money was supposed to be used help students who had fallen behind academically? After the report that came out yesterday talking about 4th and 8th graders and how far they would fallen behind in reading, how much they had fallen behind in math, evidently wasn't spent adequately uh, for that especially. Um, I don't know about the mental health needs. I don't know about reopening buildings as far as that was going going on. So keep that in mind. All that money, they made it, uh, they got it out there to the schools. They haven't even used it. And, and consider, they haven't used $81 million, billion. They haven't put that into to work in our, in, um, our economy. What's that going to do to inflation now? That's going to add to inflationary pressures as well. And then Reuters reporting this. I don't want to leave you with a bad taste in your mouth, but I might have to. 
the United States warned on Monday there would be severe consequences if Russia used a nuclear weapon in Ukraine as Western countries accused Moscow of plotting to escalate the war on the pretext that Kiev was planning to deploy a dirty bomb laced with nuclear material. With Ukrainian forces advancing into Russian-occupied Kyrgyzstan province, top uh, Russian officials phoned Western counterparts on Sunday and Monday to tell them of Moscow's suspicions. Russia plans to raise the issue at the U.N. Security Council, and that was supposed to happen today. I haven't heard anything yet about it. The uh, foreign ministers of France, Britain, and the United States rejected the allegations and reaffirmed their support for Ukraine. From uh, NBC, Ukraine and its allies have vociferously rejected the Russian uh, accusations, countering that, in fact, the Kremlin's public claims suggest it is seeking to build a pretext for an escalation and may be planning a, quote, false flag operation in which to blame Kiev for its own actions. So we'll have to keep our uh, her eyes open uh, dealing dealing with that. And then, uh, let's see, I had something here. I had a, a story at the end that I wanted to talk about. Uh, and it it's about what's going on in the wonderful world of reptiles. All right? And how much money, <laughs> how much money our government spends on crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, love is in the air, according to the New York Times, for lizards. New research into the social behavior of lizards and other reptiles suggests they can live in family groups, lovingly care for their young, and even form monogamous bonds. Scientists say social behavior in reptiles has been largely overlooked for decades, but with the help of uh, camera traps and uh, genetic testing, researchers have made strides to better understand their social behavior. I'm glad that our government spends our money for things like that. All right, time for me to get out of here. I'll be back with you at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. Hope that uh, you have a great afternoon. I'm heading out to do some lunch. Got some friends I'm going to join. And then uh, I'll join you again at 6 a.m. And we'll get at it, give you all the information you need to know. We'll have the congressman on. And... uh, and then uh, tomorrow uh, at 9 o'clock, Mark Lowry will be around to talk to you about running for treasurer. All that's coming up tomorrow here on the Dave Ellswick Show. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.